Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast by Swapcard, the leading virtual, hybrid, and in-person event platform. Inside Events is your go-to podcast for fresh insights from the world's top event professionals. Here are your hosts, Bob and Mia from Swapcard. Good afternoon, marketing and event professionals, and welcome to the Inside Events Podcast powered by Swapcard. I'm so excited to welcome everyone to another great episode to talk all things marketing, events, and engagement. Once again, I'm your host, Bob Chain, Strategic Account Manager here at Swapcard to navigate the exploration into all things event, marketing, community, and hybrid. Today, I am so excited to be joined by my partner in crime and co-host, Miss Mia Masson. And as there are so many interesting and innovative things going on within our space, as well as, gosh, daily headlines that greatly affect everything that we do on a daily basis, we're excited to really highlight the top minds of the industry and really lean on their experiences and expertise to drive innovation. Today, we're going to be really focusing on an idea of sustainability and being part of the experiential world for close to a decade now. I know that this has been a key talking point for our industry as a whole for a very long time. And as such, we really wanted to explore this topic in depth, knowing that it's going to become as prevalent as ever as we start to see the recovery of travel and the return to in real life experiences. To help us drive this conversation, I'm excited to be joined by two experts, Guy Bigwood and Shauna McKinley. Shauna has worked for over two decades as an educator and consultant in the field of event sustainability. And as a consultant, she works tirelessly and quietly in the background to you know, develop award-winning event sustainability projects for many global brands, associations, and marketing agencies. Shauna, thank you very much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Our other partner in crime as well will be Guy, who is working on delivering award-winning consulting services focused on helping cities, governments, and associations in the hospitality industry set up, scale up, and speed up their sustainability programs and operational practices. He's also the CEO and Chief Change Officer of the Global Destination Sustainability Movement. Guy, thank you very much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Now, I'm going to really kick off today's conversation for a question to you both, just to hear a little bit of what are the main things that you're working on right now or, or key projects or initiatives that you have top of mind? Shauna, let's kick it off for you. Well, this is the time of year when I actually have one foot planted firmly in the classroom working on student projects, and then I have one foot out in the field working on a lot of projects with event clients. So. For my event clients, I would say that a big focus this year has been understanding the implications of the shift to digital and online when it comes to things like carbon footprint. A lot of clients that I work with were already concerned with sustainability, calculating their carbon footprint, and now the question is, how has that changed given the year that we've had? And it's been a really interesting opportunity for us to learn because this was an area of research that there wasn't a lot in prior to the pandemic. It wasn't being done at scale things that we've been able to do has actually been, if I'm permitted to share, our digital event carbon calculator that has been launched in collaboration with Meet Green, which is the result of all of this research that both of us have been doing during this time. And it's a free tool now where anyone can go online and find out what the carbon footprint of their digital event is. We have this new legacy that we wouldn't have otherwise had that sort of pushes us to continue to innovate in how we can do lower carbon events. And I'm sure something that we're going to really start to dive into a little bit more as well when we start to talk about the data and analytics of this. Uh, 
Before heading down that road, Guy, same question to you. What are those projects that you are working on today? So at the, it's a busy time for us at the GDS movement this time of the year. We, we're, we're collecting data from all the participant cities. So this, this year there's 75 cities that have undertaken a GDS index. So they've uploaded data about the performance of their city, socially, environmentally, of their supply chain in tourism and events, and their destination management organization. So we get all of that data and then we crunch it, we evaluate it, make sure they put it in right and it's, it's true. And then we start to analyze it. And it's an amazing group of 75 pioneering cities from around the world. And that really gives us a feeling of what's happening, what's on the ground, what are the trends. And for us, it's, this is a key part of our journey of driving regeneration forward. You know, this is, we made a shift two years ago to trying to start change the language up from sustainability to more how do we leave the world better through events? And that regenerative concept, which we'll talk about more later, but you know, so it all links in now. So it's an exciting time, we finished the benchmark and then we gotta get back and do 75 reports to tell them how they're getting better. That sounds very interesting, Guy. I'm gonna start with a question for you, if that's okay. I've seen my news feed blow up with people talking about going back to in-person events in some regions of the world. Um, this is especially true for Europe, the UK, and the United States and Canada. As we are seeing this trend to somehow slowly opening up and going back to in-person events again, are you seeing these past 18 months of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, have they impacted the way that we waste at events? Or are you seeing that the industry is going right back to its old ways, back to normal, as you would? I'm seeing it as different things. I think COVID and health has created a lot of effort and focus on hygiene practices, right? And they're not always very sustainable. And some of them are very dubious of whether they're actually better hygienically than anything. So they're not better, many or most that I've seen are not very much better hygienically and health-wise and they're making vast amounts of plastic waste. So that's a big challenge and we've really got to, I think, recover. We're going back a few years, 2018, 2019 were fantastic years, there was so much happened and I think we do have to recover some of that. However, I think there's a bigger focus on carbon, there's a bigger focus on the importance of doing this stuff, there's a bigger awareness, the bigger need about food regeneration, change and switching our diets. So I think there's, it's, it's really unusual, there's that real mix of positive and negative. As we're starting to go down that idea of some of the data figures and statistics that are uh, starting to become available. I know, Shauna, you referenced this during your introduction, but, you know, coming out of this uh, lull in travel that obviously the, the pandemic naturally caused, are there any type of data or insights that are top of mind that you're taking a look at that should either be either a wake-up call for the industry or maybe a very interesting subset to keep in mind as we're starting to go through this immediate next process? Well, where do I start? I feel like I, I need to go on a bit of a because there's so much coming out and it's really expanded our understanding about what happens to emissions when you go into lockdown globally. Turns out they go down six to seven percent, right? Which is beneficial for the planet, but there's a lot of negative downsides to that. And we can use this experience to put in context, okay, what does that mean for our future? 
if we are targeting to stay on this guardrail of 1.5 to 2 degrees going forward into the future, does that mean that we have to have emissions reductions of the amount we saw in 2020 every single year? And that's a scary thing to think about for us in events. What I like to come back to is a statistic or a projection that I find is really helpful as a design challenge for events because I think that's what we have to bring it back to because a lot of the stuff can sound very scary when we start to get into data, especially if we're talking about emissions. But I was reading last year the United Nations Environment Program, they put together an emissions gap report. And the one in 2020 had a data point in it that underlined that if we are to get to um, zero emissions by 2050, we should be living in a carbon budget, each of us on the planet, of about 2.5 metric tons per year. So that's our available carbon budget as an individual, 2.5 metric tons per year. And I don't know if anyone has ever done their own personal carbon footprint calculation, but that's quite hard to live within. In Canada, we're around 15 tons on average. We're one of the highest in the world. So the reduction that has to happen is very extreme. And it's not all up to us as individuals to make choices. There's only so much we can do as individuals. There's a large part of technology change and system change that has to happen. So it's all solutions now to the greatest extent possible. But the design challenge for events, I think, is to, okay, if we're looking at by 2030, ideally, in an ideal world, we want to be 2.5 metric tons per person. What does that mean for an event when a participant can emit one to three metric tons hopping on a plane to get to just one. Okay, if I want to have this experience, I really need to start to refine and edit and reformat what I do because I want to meet, I want to connect, I want to get education, but how do I do that in a way that aligns with that carbon reality? It might mean that I do um, travel to events less frequently. It might mean that as an event organizer, maybe I'm shifting a quarter of my events to an online and a hybrid format, right? It doesn't mean that we're going cold turkey on this stuff, but it does mean we have to be mindful if we want to stay in that climate threshold we have. No, that's really interesting. And obviously one of the things that I've noticed just on my own Google Analytics is I went to book a flight the other day and it actually showed me a line that there was a carbon footprint associated with that specific flight. And obviously that's something that I can make a conscious decision as an individual, but me doing that, naturally it's a very nth of an nth of a percentage to the greater kind of goals and things that we as a global populace need to reach collectively. And I would say obviously there's so many different independent actions that we potentially could take maybe from that organizer lens, are there things that, you know, maybe in your consulting practice or client services that you typically either highlight or say, if you're going to start to focus on this idea of sustainability, here's the maybe top one or two things that might be able to make the greatest impact. Would you like me to take that one, Bob? That yeah, that would be great. Okay, I think for me, where I always want, want to start is learning how an organization defines sustainability, first of all, because it's about more than just carbon. It's about, as Guy says, it's about a whole diversity of issues, but accessibility, it's about quality. So finding out what dials people want to make a difference in, what issues they want to make a difference in is, is important. For me, in my area of work, carbon is always the focus. So if I look just at that issue, 
The first thing that we do is a carbon footprint analysis and audit to find out what the levers are. And every event is going to be different. So if you're a local festival and a special event, probably your venue selection and your menu planning matters the most. Transportation tends to be local, it's lower impact, so focusing on food is, is critical. If you're an international event, looking at transportation questions is really critical. It's your big lever. Typically it's 70% or more of your footprint. So doing that analysis first gives you your footprint fingerprint to help you identify those unique levers, but those tend to be the top three, the venue, the food, and the transportation footprint for your attendees. That leads perfectly into my next question, which is for Guy. Shauna mentioned that we might need to take a look at how often we travel to events if we want to be aligned with uh, a certain KPI for our own carbon footprint as individuals. This is a, a scary topic, as Shauna mentioned as well. It's a tough question and nobody wants to talk about it because it could mean the end of business as they know it. So how can you, how do you, and how can we approach this subject in the industry without people retreating to panic? What words can we use and how can we correctly phrase the messaging so that people are open-minded about it? The language I am using and the philosophy I'm following more and more is how we use our events to regenerate society, nature, communities, the economies. And that has two real key components. So one, it's, it's thinking of the impacts, just like Shauna just talked about how we reduce those. Two, it's really thinking of the content of the event and how we really design our event and the program to really create the debate, because that may be, in a systemic viewpoint, that could be even more impactful than us reducing our waste. But, you know, you have to bring that together. And regeneration is a lot about systemic change. So you have to look at your shadows. You have to look at your skeletons. We all have them. Right? And, and, and our shadow is to be do. People have to fly around the world. And pre-COVID, and I don't know about you, but there was a lot of really bad meetings. <laughs> Lots of them. I think I organised a lot of them, actually. <laughs> and looking at that, it's like, no. No, that's a waste of the money. I was thinking the other day I'm working with a major global IT company who spends $600 million a year, 600 million euros a year on events. And I'm just imagining the conversation with the CFO. who's like, oh, good, we've saved ourselves 600 million last year. Well, you spent a few, maybe you spent 50 million on virtual or 20 million on virtual, but oh, good. Now let's look at the financial result. Oh, we actually did better last year. So why do we need to go back to meet again? Um, I, I don't get that, really. What data have you got about the efficiency and effectiveness of those meetings? Oh, actually, we don't really have that. Oh, yeah, people were happy with a food buffet. <laughs> but, you know, oh, yeah, great. That's nice that they were happy with the, the welcome and the cocktail, but did it create results? So we're particularly bad at that. We organised many meetings that didn't create any good stuff. We now have use our time in a totally different way. You know, I've done three webinars today, all around the world, five other meetings. We don't have time. So everything has changed, I think. And so now we have to have different conversations. Every meeting that we, we deliver has to deliver business results, has to deliver social results, and it has to deliver positive environmental results. So I think when I started to talk this language of regeneration, people get it. I'm finding a, a, a bigger click to when I use the word sustainability. 
when I use the word sustainability, you get often the glass-eyed look, don't you? It's like, ooh. <laughs> you know, and people are zonking out, and here he goes, the tree hugger again. When you talk about economic regeneration, social regeneration, we get it. We all need, we know it needs to happen. So it blows me away just how using one different word changes the conversation. So it is about the stories we tell and how we message. That is well noted. I will be referring to regeneration from now on. Thanks, Guy, for the tip. <laughs> regeneration is about challenge that. So we have to have the difficult conversations. And I'm having those now with a lot of organizations, a lot of destinations. And we really are seeing a shift now of, of yeah, and, and I think continuing on that point, Guy, I know obviously in, in my conversations with a lot of the partners, at the end of the day, points back to the economics of it, naturally, because you were referencing the idea of, we all went to those meetings that you're like, this really could have video conference, or it could have been a webinar versus a true full in-person experience. But at the end of the day, we do know that there is a different type of economic model and economic viability that comes with IRL experience versus potentially virtual. And I would love to hear, is this something that you are working through from kind of part pairing those different types of analytics and impacts of sustainability or metrics along those fronts and, and actually tying it to potential economic viability as well, knowing that at the end of the day, without that, then there's only so much within the business event space that we can do. There's some great data I was looking at last week. Sean and I are data junkies, we love data. And I'm just gonna pick on one area of sustainability, like circularity and, and waste, okay? Right now, the cost of ingredients of food has gone up. It's gone up about 30% in a lot of places around the world. Okay, so it's now costing us more to throw food away. Okay, well, the food we're bu buying, we're throwing away, costs us more. The second thing is labor is going up crazy around the world. In our sector, because there's a lot of people, freelancers are getting paid a lot more money than they used to. It's challenging to hire people, find people, let alone pay them. So we're paying more for people to throw the food away. Okay. And then we have this issue is that our yield is a bit weird because we don't actually know how many people are going to turn out in the event. So we organize a, an event, 250 turn up or let alone restaurants, nightmare time being a restaurateur. So your yield has gone down. So you add those three points together and the economics of, of being sustainable are so important, right? It's too damn expensive to throw food away. And that's just one area, you know, that, that, that don't touch everything else. So That's so interesting that you say that, Guy, because... I was recently talking to a former colleague of mine. I used to work at a big NGO and we brought together governments for these big intergovernmental meetings and then also government to business meetings. And it was each time these meetings were during the big yearly conference, which was held in a fancy place like the Marina Bay Sands in Singapore or in Nice, France, beautiful destinations. And they always had trouble with turnout for these government meetings. Naturally, it's in expensive places and it takes a lot of time and investment from a government. Since COVID hit and they've gone virtual with their government meetings, they have seen a 60% increase in attendance and much more being done because delegates are no longer focusing on the coffee breaks and the food and the 
schmoozing. They're actually getting down to business and they, their work is being done. And my former colleague told me, we are literally never going back to meeting these governments in person again because their budget people are happy and they're all happy because they're more productive. So for some sectors and, and some types of meetings and events, it just makes all kinds of economic sense to be more regenerative. That's very interesting. Uh, so what I hear you saying, Guy, is that it's not actually all doom and gloom if you say people are understanding what you're talking about. And if you put it on economic terms, it sinks in. So I'd like to ask Shauna, you were speaking about these kind of KPIs and <laughs> I know you need a data diet, but these <laughs> carbon neutral by 2050 and 2.5 metric tons per person by 2030. If our industry, the events industry starts playing our role today and really making the necessary changes in design and we'll be okay. Is there hope? I feel like we need to give some kind of hope to our listeners. <laughs> yeah, I have abundant reasons for hope. If you need reasons for hope, look at Guy's LinkedIn stream. The stories and the efforts that are happening at a destination level, in particular for me, are some of the most inspiring because I feel that's where it happens. That's where, in the places where we live, change is happening and it's happening in really cool ways. So. There's hope outside of our industry. Renewable energy is cheaper than it's ever been. National grids are transitioning faster than they have before. We need to continue to do all of this, scaling it up at a pace that it, it will get us there. So I, I feel very hopeful. I, I also feel that there's just one thing and it's maybe not quite what you're looking for, but in my role as a teacher, I encounter doom and gloom daily with my students. I deal with the younger generation. They're two generations younger than I am. and the level of anxiety and fear that people are facing right now is arresting and it's fueling a crisis of mental health. Absolutely have a whole briefcase full of positive hopeful case studies. One of the things that I also think we need to think about in events is the power that we have to give people space to process their anxiety around these issues and create those spaces to talk about the emotions they have, the anxiety and the grief and the fear get a support network that will help them through it. Because the reality is we're living in a time of multiple crises and we have to find the hope. And I think events can be a very powerful way to give us space to be able to do that. I think sometimes the worst thing we can do is to tell someone, oh, yes, it's bad, but rush them through that process of understanding what works for them. So events, I think, can provide that space. And once people get through that, I think they'll be able to find the resources that let them know. What I like to think about is instead of panicking about all the things we have to lose, it's about learning about the solutions that show us all the things that we have the power to save. And that's a really powerful mind shift for people. And it's a mind shift that can be fueled by events. To change the systems that we have in the world, we have to change ourselves as well, right? And I think the one good thing about COVID is made a lot of people a lot more humble a lot more real, a lot more in touch with their emotions about mental health, about diversity, about social inclusion, about inequality. It's flushed out so many social challenges that all, each of us, not just those people in Africa, have to deal with. Each of us in, the, in our place in the developing world, we have to deal with on a daily basis. And so I think there's been a lot of soul searching and I think that soul searching is, is really is an asset we have to look after that, cultivate those skills that we developed and the honesty and the humbleness we've had and not lose that in the arrogance of growth. And I think that's key. And I don't know 
how we do that as an industry. But I know that in my work, developing leaders, that's what I'm focused on doing. And we can't forget that. And I know I have to do that daily with myself. And so going into yourself, making time to be quiet is super important. And right now, we need to innovate like we've never innovated in our life. I mean, this is the, you know, that cliche of a war level innovation, which I, I don't like, but it's, it's like that. And if you think that 99% of all our ideas are recycled from other ideas, of the same things we thought. We have to learn to innovate in a very different way to create new thoughts. And that means changing, stopping, spending more time into nature, you know, letting ideas permeate and be managed and cultivated. So, you know, there's a lot needs to happen right now. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's almost like you're defining that everyone naturally has their role to play. From an individual level, you can make those conscious decisions. From destination level or facility level, you reference that there's a lot of great work that's being done from almost the institution side. And then from a planner perspective, especially within the experiences and events industry, there's potentially ways that outside of maybe just conscious decisions but even more programmatic lenses that we could take steps to design these opportunities to have these conversations, to promote those things without the same type of cost that we historically had seen maybe in 2019 and before. Whereas we would need to get everyone into a single location to be able to facilitate something like that. Using the technologies that are available today it's a lot easier to get a group of like-minded individuals into a space together to hopefully be able to create those impactful moments that can then create a move. And th that's where a lot of that kind of doom and gloom versus the opportunity and optimism that can naturally exist and, and does exist, I think, a ton within our industry. And piggybacking off of that point, and as we're coming up on the the final minutes of our conversation today. One of the last things that I'd just like to ask you both, we've touched on this a little bit, but are there any type of last thoughts or concrete ways that we as an industry could do better or something that we should have as that one takeaway from this conversation? Guy, I will start with you. Let's not forget we have power. As event organizers, in all of our capacity, we bring people together, whether it's virtual or offline. We bring people together and we can orchestrate, design that meeting to inspire, motivate, empower, catalyze people. And we can catalyze them to regenerate nature, to drive forward a transition to low carbon energy, to move towards a better food system, whatever. We can design our infrastructure, our system of services to model that, what we want in the world. And in an event, you can create the perfect city for three days, the perfect community for three days. We all have the power to do that. So as Elvis said, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. Thank you, Guy. And Shauna, any last thoughts? I think for me, it's a related thought to Guy. 
I always think of so much of what I do is reliant on a strong relationship between a planner decision maker and the supply chain. And so much success comes in that relationship. So what I would take away as a, if there's one call to action, it's support those that are supporting the future you want to see in the world. Because at the end of the day, we can put out our sustainability expectations in an RFP, but if we don't invest in those suppliers and businesses that are driving the solutions and accepting that they may take multiple events to get to because stuff doesn't happen overnight, we are going to be moving at a slower pace than we could. So support each other where people have a shared vision to sustainability that matches your own would be my key takeaway. And can I add one thing because it builds on that nicely? Um is a great phrase from the climate world at the moment and it is only the impossible is interesting we've seen through covid that you can achieve the impossible it was impossible to roll out vaccine in six months but we've done you know it's been impossible to change how cities have cars and and pedestrianize whole areas of the center of cities go to london right now central london there's no cars the world is changing and the impossible is happening. Guy, thank you very much for just getting our title for our episode today. For you both, amazing and actionable conversation. For everyone listening to the Inside Events podcast, be sure to check out Guy Bigwood and Shauna McKinley's additional resources and profiles below to also see a lot of the elements that they referenced today. Thank you all for bringing the expertise and joining us and sharing all of your stories. Thank you for listening to the Inside Events Podcast by Swapcard. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or would like to access a special discount just for our podcast listeners, send a message to podcast at swapcard.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Inside Events.